and welcome to my podcast. I'm Connie. I'm a certified nutritionist and personal trainer, and I live on a small hobby farm. I have a huge passion for bodybuilding, but I don't fall into the typical bodybuilding mold. The naysayers, they can have their bro science. Yep, I said it. I'm a natural health and nutrition nerd. Some would call me a granola, but that couldn't be further from the wrong word. I stay away from the typical processed, standard American diet, and I don't eat granola. I created this podcast to share my health journey and the many things I've learned in my quest to find what it takes to live a mindful, happy, balanced life for all humans, not just athletes. I hope to help you discover your inner nerd and help you make some hefty deposits into your knowledge bank account that can help you crack your health code. We're seeing these injuries occur younger and younger. And I think the reason being is these athletes are just playing high volume of the same sport all year round. So those are the two types of demographics that I see in my practice. Uh, and those are the main reasons that, you know, we're seeing these injuries. Hello, hello again, friends, and welcome back to another episode. That little clip right there was from today's guest, Con Celebi. He is a dual board certified sports and orthopedic physical therapist, and he specializes in knee injuries, and he has a special interest in ACL care. He is the founder of the ACL Academy, which is an international-based virtual coaching platform where he works with athletes across the globe dealing with ACL injuries, both conservatively and postoperatively, helping them reclaim their life and get back to the sports they love. So... Today, Con and I talk a little bit about the knee, things that you can do to prevent injury, and then also post-operative care, um, all sorts of things knee-related. So, before we jump into today's episode, remember if you go on and subscribe to my podcast, share it with your friends, share it with your family, leave me reviews, all of these things are super beneficial in helping me be visible um, in the podcasting world. If you don't have these things, it kind of hides your podcast. So when you guys go over there and leave reviews and subscribe and share with your friends and family, it makes this podcast visible, which makes it easier for me to get on qualified individuals like Con. So if you can pop on over there and do that real quick before we get going with today's episode, that would be super helpful. It makes it worth my time to bring all these wonderful guests on as well. So uh, pay me back in likes and sharing. (laughs) Anyways, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. And here is Con Celebi. Well, Con, we're live. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Connie. I appreciate it. Uh, Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on today because I know a common thing with a lot of the people that I train is knee pain. And it seems like ACL injuries and knee injuries are becoming more and more common, especially in youth sports and things like that. And so today you are coming on the show to talk about that with me. Yeah, happy to do so. And you're exactly right. It's one of the main injuries that happen. Um, and it happens across all parts of life, right? Starting from young to, uh, you know, as we get older and continue to stay healthy and active. Uh, these are things that people experience. Well, before we dive too much into 
knees and ACL and knee pain. Can you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and what got you passionate about specializing in the knee? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've been a physical therapist and a strength coach for 10 years now. Uh, And it probably started when my career path, I would say, started when I was a teenager. Um, So I played soccer all my life. And unfortunately for me, I was injured a lot. Uh, And because of that, I was in the rehab facilities a lot. So this kind of opened the doors to me about this beautiful field, you know, getting athletes healthy again, back to the sports they love. So um, that's kind of how I got to where I am. And then as far as the knee goes, my practice over the past couple of years have really specialized into the knee itself and the ACL. And the reason being is uh, after school, I did a residency at the University of Delaware, which uh, is an institution that pumps out a lot of research with ACL and ACL care. Um, And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with not only helping these athletes after this injury, but there's nothing more rewarding than seeing them get back on the field that first game or that first uh, match that they play. It's just one of the best experiences that I've ever had in my career. I love it. I love it. That sounds super rewarding. And I find it interesting how a lot of us find our true passion and career path through experiences we've had with ourselves things that have gone wrong, injuries, health journeys, all that stuff. So it's always interesting to hear everybody's story and how they got into things. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty cool. I mean, that you know, when you're young, you don't think about what you want to do. Uh, you know, if you're an athlete, you want to play your sport. But after that, it's, well, where do you go from here? And, and it, was, it was such a cool field. I really love it. It keeps me part of um, being active. It keeps me part of sports. And um, it, it really is rewarding. I love it. I love it. So um, let's talk about the knee because the knee, so many people have troubles uh, with their knee. They have um, patellofemoral pain. They have ACL injuries. It seems like the knee is a really common um, ache and pain for a lot of people. So you're a lot into preventative measures, strengthening, and then also post-operative rehab. So can you tell us a little bit about all of these things? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the knee is the largest joint in the body, so and it's quite frequently injured and hurt. And a lot of times what we see is, um, depending on what population you're talking about, you know, when you talk about patellofemoral pain or um, something like meniscal repairs, which is, or meniscal injuries, which is the shock absorber of the knee, those injuries usually occur um, what we call overuse or overstress. So a lot of times um, if athletes take a hiatus and they really jump up their volume um, over a short time period, what happens is they get this type of overuse injury. So when you look at patellofemoral pain, it's, it's a general term that stands for like anterior or front of the knee pain and has all these different causes. But a lot of the times, you know, what we find is it really is just due to an uptick in activity. So, you know, going from the couch to running three miles consecutively day after day, something's bound to happen. So on the preventative side, we always try to preach, you know, steadily increasing your volume, steadily increasing your activity. Um, This is how we kind of ensure that people stay healthy and they can continue to stay on the path. Um, Because what happens is when people ramp up too quickly, you know, they get excited because they, 
just get into the routine. You know, they're like three weeks in, four weeks in. They're so excited. They're happy. Their endorphins are going. And then all of a sudden they get hurt and really puts them back on the couch. So it's our job to, you know, educate and slowly ramp them up. So this way they don't run into those types of issues. I love it. I love it. And, you know, as an athlete, that's definitely something we all struggle with, right? Is like, say you have a little lull in the action for a while and then you're able to get back into it. I think this break everyone's had from the gyms and stuff, you're probably going to see an uptake in injury because everybody's going to jump back in like they never stopped. And the body sometimes doesn't adapt well to that. (laughs) Um, I know with myself, I just had a major hip surgery and I'm 12 weeks out of it and they're starting to clear me to do more things. And my response is to just want to go out and crush it. But I know I have to be nice to myself and work back into things. Yeah, that's a big deal. So then that's the other side of it. When you do have a surgery like that, people start to feel good and again, itch and they want to go just like you're saying. So um, especially when you're on the surgery side, it's, it's, it's uh, so important to stay the course and make sure you're progressing the right way. Because a lot of times, um, whether it's hip or whether it's knee, re-injuries can happen. And I hate to tell you this, but like once you get one of these injuries, uh, on the orthopedic side, that's the highest risk factor of getting that injury again. So that's where we always try to educate that, you know, we want to progress the right way. I love it. So what are some of the common things that you see that are starting to trigger um, knee injuries, knee pain? I know there's a multitude of them, but what are some common offenders? Uh, so as I was talking about before, when we're talking about um, what I see with my middle-aged population, so anywhere from you know 30 to 50 to 60 even, uh, it's really that uptick in activity. So it's like, you know, we live in a, uh, a movement, a healthy lifestyle now where people want to stay active, but they don't know how to go about it the right way. So when you're talking about that demographic, the injuries that I see are telephemoral pain, meniscal tears, uh, and sometimes we we get what we call bursitis or uh, prepatellar bursitis. It's like a, a sac in the middle, in the front of the knee that usually gets irritated. And those three big injuries I, I always usually see due to an uptick of um, starting too soon or too fast too soon. And then on the other side of it, when we're talking about, you know, the, our younger population, when I see the ACL injuries, uh, we're seeing this younger, we're seeing these injuries occur younger and younger. And I think the reason being is these athletes are just playing high volume of the same sport all year round. So those are the two types of demographics that I see in my practice. Uh, And those are the main reasons that, you know, we're seeing these injuries. And I'm glad that you brought that up with the youth sports and stuff, because I think there's like two different takes on it. And I was wondering which side of the table you sat on or if you sat on both. But a lot of that's what I found is uh, sports have become more and more competitive. And like you said, there's not a lot of off seasons on some of these children's sports or these youth sports where um, they're taking time off because they're oftentimes training the whole year and specializing in one or two things or they're going from one sport to another And I feel like now there's not enough emphasis placed on um, form and rest and recovery and all of these things. And especially rest and recovery, I feel like things are becoming overtaxed and they're opening the door to injuries. But on the other side of that spectrum, on the other side of that table, we're looking at Lots of injuries, but maybe also because they are more easily detected now. We have more technology and more knowledge 
kind of wrapped around them. So maybe there's not more injuries. Maybe it's just we're better at detecting them and correcting them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's two good points there. I, I think that the uh, the buzzword or the sexy term around is called sports specialization. And this is something that's been talked about over the past years, how our youth athletes are playing the same sport and the same year round, like all year round. Like you said, there's no off season. And, and whether it's pressure from parents or coaches or pressure on themselves, um, they just don't stop playing that specific sport. And I think – the problem for me is, or the way I try to educate people is, if you play the same sport all year round, it's putting your body through the same demands. So let's say, for example, if you're a baseball player and you're pitching all year round, you're putting the same stretches on your shoulder and elbow all year. So that's why we try to educate. And it doesn't mean that you have to play different sports. It's either you you take an active recovery break. So instead of playing baseball, you know, it, you don't have to just sit on the couch or you don't have to play another sport, but you just have to participate in something recreational. Um, and I, I think part of the world that we live in today, kids aren't just going out and playing for fun anymore. Everything is just so serious. Like, you, you know, you have to sign up with this academy team. You have to put in, you know, 40 hours a week of practice and, and train all year round. And I think that is what's leading to a little bit of the uptick in injuries that we see. Um, and the other side of it, you could be right where we're detecting some of these things, um, so often and, and, and maybe they're not a big deal. You know, every, anytime somebody gets hurt, they don't have to be rushed to getting an x-ray or an MRI, you know, they could be rehabbed and strengthened and, and, you know, maybe some active recovery will help them get back on the field. So we could be pushing, you know, imaging and things like that too soon. I understand that. Um, so my other question along with that is, is um, doing what you do as a career and these kids are doing these constant repetitive motion kids. I mean, I say kids and youth, but really we have adults that are guilty of the same thing. They're playing sports like five. They're practicing like five days a week. They have games on Saturdays, sometimes Sundays. Um, they're doing a lot of repetitive motions. Do you think if the training sequences change to where there were more active recovery days, you would see less injuries? I, I do. I really do. I think that's a big part of it. And, and that's what we try to promote in the RACL population, right? So um, what we try to do is put in these prevention programs or what we call them now is reduction programs. Um, so things that can be worked into an athlete's warm up, or things that could be worked into before or after practice. Um, so this way we can strengthen those areas around the joint and hopefully protect some of those injuries from happening. Uh, and when you talk about these kids playing all year round, you know, every day and games on Saturdays and Sundays, it's just too much pressure. And, you know, we're not saying that, Hey, if you soccer is your sport and this is what you love to do, I'm not saying you should go try basketball or baseball, but at the same time, we need to put your legs a break from that specific demand. And at least either whether it's just active recovery, whether it's running or swimming or recreationally, just going out and riding a bike with your friends, something to get you away from that specific demand. You know, we're seeing that if you put your body through too much of this stuff, uh, this leads to ends up being a, a sad story, an injury. Amen to that. So with that all being said, 
what are some protocols that athletes and even regular fitness enthusiasts or um, older adults, what are some things that they can include in their day-to-day lives and their day-to-day training protocols to help mitigate knee injuries or knee pain? So a couple of things that I'm a big believer in, um, one is some type of either active or dynamic warm up and cool down. So a lot of times because our lives are so busy, you know, we get to the gym in a half hour and this is all we have. So we try to like put it everything we can to that workout. And it's like, we have to find some time to do some either active, uh, warm up and active recovery. So whether it's a, a little stretching routine, um, or a cool down routine, those are things that we promote to keep the muscles loose and flexible uh, to help prevent some of those injuries. So that, like, that's something that we, we try to push all the time. And the, the biggest complaint that I get or the biggest uh, the reason that people don't find that is they don't feel like they have enough time to perform these things. Uh, and my argument is, well, listen, if you don't and then you end up injured, you end up miserable anyway, right? So we either have to find some time to do this or it's going to be a revolving door into the uh, physical therapy clinic. And that's something that we both don't want. I can tell you from experience (laughs) that um, you are going to spend more time out of the gym. If you have a major injury than you would have by properly warming up, implementing stretching, all of these things. Yeah. And and you know what, you're going to be miserable, right? If, if, going to the gym and being active this is something that you love or or it's a stress reliever for you and then if you have to sustain an injury and then be away from that you know that's not only going to make you physically unhealthy but it's going to make you mentally and and emotionally stressful and and not happy either absolutely there have been points in this journey where i'm like dang do i need to find like a an uh, athletic psychiatrist or something for this kind of thing, because your brain, I mean, especially when you've worked so hard um, to achieve certain goals, and then you have to take a huge step back from things, you can definitely suffer from the emotional side of it as well. Oh, absolutely. And that's a big thing that, especially on the post-operative side. So like, even for you example, you had hip surgery, you said 12 weeks, like, Think about those 12 weeks that you're probably nowhere as near as active as you would like to be, right? And so that was a big hit for you. That's a good chunk of time. It is. And you're looking at, I mean, 12 weeks and now we're safe to start doing more things and proceeding to more workouts and loads. But in all actuality, we're actually looking at six months to a year to be fully recovered from everything. So it's not just a 12 week setback. It's going to be a process to get back to normal and change our training a little bit. Oh, absolutely. And then that goes through a lot of surgeries and and on my end with the ACLs that we deal with, this is now a nine month to a year recovery or longer even. So especially in our youth population, we try to push these kids to at least a year um, because what what we're finding is the re-injury rates are almost 25 to 30% for these youth athletes. So imagine going through what you did, let's say, and getting a surgery, being out for, you know, six months to a year, and then three months after getting back to the sport you love, getting a second injury and having to go through it all over again. That's got to be devastating. So if we can prevent that, that's what we're going to try to do. Of course, yeah. So what are some of the dynamic type warm-ups that you recommend people start doing before they start their training session? 
Um, so what we always like to do is just get the body warm a little bit, right? So whether you want to get on the treadmill or the elliptical or the bike, or even if you're just outside, you know, to just run for a few minutes, just to get some, some blood flow going through the body. Um, and then what we've been trying to push more so is dynamic stretching versus static stretching. So static stretching is what we're kind of all used to holding the same position for 30 seconds or so and stretching the big muscle groups in a, in a standing or seated position. Um, so we've been moved to more dynamic stretching, which is like taking the muscles through movement. So I don't even know if I call that, I recognize it as a stretch anymore. I think it's actually just taking your muscles and your joints through some um, big movements. So this way they're prepared uh, to participate in an activity that, you know, that you're going to be. So that dynamic warm up um, could include, it could be 10 minutes, not even. Um, and you really need about maybe 10, 15 yards of space. And you're basically taking each joint, each muscle through the full length um, of the motion and then back. Um, so we're, we're kind of hitting all big muscle groups uh, and getting, you know, the joints and the muscles loose. So this way they can participate in the sport, but that's what we've been pushing more. So the dynamic end versus the static end. I love it. I know that I have been known when I'm being good. <laughs> Sometimes I don't, like you said, fit it into my schedule. Although now that I've gone through a major rehab, it's definitely going to be a non-negotiable part of my, my, my workouts in the morning. But I know prior to having surgery, I liked to do, because I have hip mobility problems, I like to do a lot of skipping and knee to chest and um, things like that, lateral um, sidewalks, things that kind of start to activate everything so that it's prepared to get going with a workout. Yeah, I mean, and that's exactly what you need because, you know, Static stretching is one thing. Holding a position is one thing. But um, when you're actually doing your physical activity, those joints have to move. So we need to properly put them, you know, to let them know that it's okay to move beforehand before we actually get them going at full speed. Um, so you're doing all the good things. At least now you're trying to implement them, which is great. Absolutely. So a lot of people... I mean, there are a lot of exercises out there that are, that are like knee taboo. <laughs> are there recommendations that you have for exercises that people with knee um, issues kind of stay away from or maybe the general population? Also, what are some exercises that you think are a benefit to knee health? Um, well, the way I put it is I don't necessarily think any exercise is bad. It, it can be different for different people, right? So like depending on you and your body and how it feels, I think we can do many very different exercises. However, every person needs to be assessed in a certain way to make sure it's safe and appropriate for them. And then we can go from there. Um, one exercise that I think gets a really bad um, name, especially for the knee, is the knee extension machine. So this is a big um, discussion point that I always have with a lot of patients and a lot of people is they stay away from this machine because they feel it or they've been told that it's bad for their joints, it's bad for their meniscus, or it puts too much pressure on their ligaments. And really, when you dive into the research, there really hasn't been, you know, enough evidence to say that it does, that it, it does more damage than it helps, right? So for me, what I try to educate my patients is, listen, your quad muscle is that big front muscle that comes 
from the thigh and goes right over the knee. And to me, that's one of the main stabilizers of the knee. And believe it or not, the only exercise really out there for this big muscle group is to do a knee extension, to isolate it, I should say, rather. You know, there's tons of other exercises like squats and lunges uh, and different functional exercises that'll target this muscle group and other muscle groups. But if you want to target, let's say, your quads specifically, which can help with patellofemoral pain, which can help with meniscal pain, which helps get our ACL stronger, that knee extension machine has to be incorporated into your routine. Um, so that's a little uh, myth that I wanted to uh, talk about because I think people really get a misconception that this exercise is bad for you. And I love that you said that, and I'm glad that you brought that up because um, you're talking like a leg extension type machine, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah um, sure. And I know that especially a lot of physical therapists are like, stay away from this machine. It's not healthy for your knees. And so it's good to hear somebody that specializes in the knees saying that it's okay um, if if executed properly, right? Because there are some ways that it can be executed not properly. Um, I know with my training, and you can completely correct me if I'm wrong, I'd love to run this by you. When I'm tra training clients, I like to make sure that their foot is dorsiflexed, you know, toe to knee when they are performing this in order to take some of the tension off of the knee. Is that a correct thing to be doing with clients? Yeah, I mean, that's something that I, uh, I, I definitely educate on, that's a, or a cue on, I would say. I think it, it helps stabilize the joint a little more. Um, and what you said before is right. Like, we have to assess the way you're doing it. A lot of times, you, I mean, you're in the gym all the time, so you see people doing exercises probably wrong all the time. So it's like we have to educate them on the proper way to do things, you know, and I think that's the biggest thing. If people know how to do the exercise and perform it the right way, then they're very safe. It's not, it's a non-issue. And I love that you said that too. And it, it's such a hard thing as a trainer, or even before I was a trainer, I'm a super nerd. I like to really understand how things work. And so when I see people performing things incorrectly in the gym, it's always a really difficult thing for me to not say something. If I see something really bad and incorrect, sometimes I will ask somebody if I can give them unsolicited advice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because I don't want to sound like this know-it-all or this person. I honestly, when I, when I want to correct somebody or I mention something to somebody, I... Um, don't want to be offensive or seem like I'm this know-it-all. I truly care about their health. And uh, it's it's a, always a hard road to, to, to go down. Uh, and then the other thing is, is no matter how much we know about fitness or form or things like that, it's just like anything, we may understand the mechanics of it, but maybe we have a hard time ourselves executing it properly. So maybe if you have that extra set of eyes, that's able to be like, oh, you might want to try to tweak this a little bit, or you might try this instead. It could be super beneficial to somebody else's training. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. I think that I, I think you're right. Sometimes people's feelings just get hurt or they don't want to be bothered. But um, just a little cue sometimes can really make the world of a difference. So uh, I think we need to all be more open um, to not necessarily criticism, but just some discussion and, and for some help. You know, I think that goes a long way. Absolutely. I know I personally, I feel like I feel so silly doing it, but I um, personally will video myself pretty frequently in the gym to make sure that I'm maintaining proper form on some bigger movements and things. And I know I'm always so surprised 
when I think I have it perfect and I'm like, oh yeah, this, the execution on this is, is perfect. I will go back and watch the video and I'm like, what the heck is going on with my neck right there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, as a trainer, possibly I should be making videos on how to perform exercises correctly and such. But sometimes we have mechanics of our own body that make it super difficult to perform exercises correctly. And that's why it's really helpful to have a coach or a physical therapist or somebody in your life, even just a friend that has a little bit of knowledge to help direct you when you are performing exercises. I hundred percent agree. And you know, it's tough. Sometimes, you know, you're working out and like you said, you think you're doing the movements correctly or properly, but like sometimes it's hard to tell where your body is in space so you're you know having a coach or like you said having a, a workout buddy even um can you and help uh make sure that you're actually doing things the right way right it seems like we live in such a judgmental society right we have uh we're offended easily I, we get our feelings hurt easily and then also i mean like i know myself as a trainer i know i perform things incorrectly in the gym sometimes uh there are things that I'm constantly trying to work on. Um, but I know there's so many people out there that are like, oh my gosh, look at that trainer. They're doing that wrong or something. But I think that our mindset needs to shift a little bit with that because um, all of us have things that we work on and have to um, refine. And so you never know what somebody might be dealing with while they are performing these exercises or what they are striving to achieve or improve as far as technique goes. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing. And, you know, you just had a great point there. It's like, you don't know what somebody's going through. You don't know if they have an injury that they're working out, or you don't know if they were instructed to do an exercise that way. So I think part of it is, yes, we need to be a little more receptive to hearing and listening to people. But I think the other side of it is, I, I think people don't know how to approach, you know, uh, a discussion, right? If if I want to make a comment on an exercise or I want to approach a stranger that maybe I feel like can be hurting themselves, I think I need to go about it the right way, right? Because like you said, they can be easily offended or maybe they don't have the ability to do an exercise a certain way. So if we're better at approaching people and talking to people and showing that, them that we care um, and we're trying to help out, maybe they'll be a little more receptive to it. I love it. So let's talk about, um, I know that you, I believe, have videos and things on certain exercises that are beneficial to knee health and things. But can we just kind of um, be specific about some kinds of pains that people might be having and then certain stability exercises they could do to help mitigate these things yeah absolutely is there a certain specific injury that you were thinking about that you wanted to uh touch on well you would know a lot more about um knee injuries than myself but um i mean i know a really common one is the patello femoral pain um now what are your beliefs on this it's been kind of my belief that when people do struggle from this pain, there can also be some tightness on the quads. Maybe the quads are a little bit overdeveloped. Maybe things aren't um, balanced and symmetrical between the posterior chain and the anterior. Do you think that um, building posterior chain also helps with taking some of the pressure off of that area? Uh, I do. I think it really has to be a balanced approach. And uh, I think the problem with patellofemoral pain is 
it's very global. Um, so, and there's many different causes of it. So, you know, some person may have it for one reason, another person may have it for a different reason. So I think it's super important to actually assess what's going on. Um, it could be the way their structure is. It could be, you know, we call the, um, the way the kneecap sits in this groove. So patellofemoral pain is essentially saying kneecap, the kneecap and the thigh joint, right? So that's what makes up the patellofemoral joint. Uh, the patella or the kneecap sits in a groove. So when the knee extends and bends, that kneecap has to glide nicely up and down. So that has to track. Sometimes people have a tracking issue where instead of the kneecap gliding nicely up and down, uh, it could shift side to side. And this could be due to hypermobility or, or looseness in the kneecap. It could be due to what we call patella alta, which is like the kneecap sitting too high in the groove. Um, so people will get what we call like subluxations or dislocations where the knee slides out. And what happens is that kneecap is, uh, has cartilage on the back side of it. Um, so this ensures that it properly glides up and down, but what when it doesn't slide nicely in the groove, you could irritate those cartilages and cause a bunch of inflammation. So a couple things that we look at is, well, our what does their quad strength look like? You know, is it too strong or is it too weak? Because this muscle goes right over the kneecap. So this provides a good stability point for it. Uh, and the other big, big muscle groups that we look at are the quads and the hamstrings, right? That's so that posterior side. So if there is some sort of imbalance there, we may need to either strengthen more of the front side or we may need to strengthen more of the back side. But the, the driving home point is to make a long story short is like each individual is different. So you have to assess you can't really do guesswork. You can't group this injury into, oh, this is what it is. We need to strengthen that. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Every person is different. So we need to assess why this issue is occurring and then address it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So on that same note, you also have people that suffer from lateral pain on each side of the knee. I know um, I'll just use myself as an example. I no longer have this problem, but um, back before, well, back, we got to reverse just a little bit. Um, I used to race motocross a lot. And in 2008, I had a major crash where I dislocated my hip and um, basically fractured my SI joint and did a bunch of damage to my my hip. And that's part of what led to the surgery that I just recently had. That and just some anatomical defects kind of set me down this, um, this nasty little rabbit hole with my hip. However, um, I found when I first started getting into fitness, I would run in the mornings. And I thought I always had this major knee injury because I would run. And then when I started running um, multiple days in a row, my knee would get huge and swollen. And that outer portion of it would, um, the distal portion of my knee laterally would be extremely swollen and painful. And what we found out was that because my SI joint kind of fused Um, I was having IT band problems that were pulling on my knee and causing a bunch of inflammation there. And it actually really had nothing to do with my knee. Yeah. So then there you go. And that's an issue for a lot of people that outside structure, that IT band um, 
and usually it's because it has to compensate for something, right? And so in your case, it's compensating from just no movement above, but sometimes it could happen from no movement below at the ankle. And, and that goes to show you that every person is a little different. Um, so without assessing, you would never know these things. Right. And it's amazing because um, the more and more I dig into these things, the more and more I look at the human body, I'm like, we're just one giant system of pulleys and levers, right? So if one thing goes up, something else is going down and vice versa, and things can be affected on down the chain that may not even be related to the uh, pain that we might be having. Yeah, I mean, it's all connected, right? And and what we've learned or one of the main things that we learn in training is when you're looking at, let's say, a knee injury, you have to look above and below. So you always look above the joint. So if you're looking at the knee, you would look at the hip and you would also look at the ankle because usually in most cases, there's something going on either above or below that could be causing, you know, issues in the middle. Now, are there any universal exercises that you recommend that can benefit all of these stability points, our ankle, our knee, our hip? So I'm a big believer in combining isolation and compound movements. So if I feel like there's weakness in a muscle group, I will do an isolated exercise to strengthen those muscles. And then once I feel like the strength is there, I like to combine it with functional movements. So you know, squats, deadlifts, uh, lunges, hit, hitting big, big muscle groups, right? Multiple muscle groups. But if you have an isolated weakness in a certain muscle group, uh, whether it's the, the quads or the hamstrings, if you don't strengthen them in isolation, when you go to do a functional exercise, such as a squat or a deadlift, you're going to, your body already, or your brain, I should say, rather, is going to use other muscle groups um, to, to you to do that movement other than that weak part, right? So your body's always going to find the easiest way to attempt to do something. So, you know, again, just using the quads as an example, if I have quad weakness and I'm not training them in isolation, when I go to do a squat, I'm going to use other muscle groups other than my quads to perform that activity, right? So I'm a big believer, isolation, get that muscle strong, and then combine, do some functional movements. And by functional movements, you're probably meaning like some balance exercises as well. Yeah. So incorporating things like that as well. Uh, when I say functional, I am talking about uh, multiple muscle groups. So as I mentioned, squats, lunges, deadlifts, so you're, you're hitting multiple groups, whether it's posterior chain or anterior chain, you're hitting uh, more than one muscle group. Um, balance is a great uh secondary activity that I do incorporate with all my rehab because I think um, that provides a stabilization for joints. So I think that's also huge to put into practice. Uh, yeah. And that was my next question. As far as stability and stuff goes, do you think when some people don't or like muscle groups will stop to fire, stop firing kind of like you said, when um, there is an injury or things are weak or, um, there's a lot of factors involved there. But do you think in that process, some of the proprioception kind of goes away too? So it's good to, to do some of these exercises that involve balance and things to kind of keep that, all of those little tiny muscle fibers active? Yeah, I think that's huge. I think you, especially after an injury, um, what happens is like your joints lose that proprioceptive ability or where your body's in space. Um, so already you're at a disadvantage when you go back to your sport. 
And that's, I think that's one of the main reasons why, you know, when you do sustain an injury, you're at the highest risk factor to sustain that injury again. So for us, it's not just about getting strong and getting your strength back, um, but challenging, you know, your body in space again. So that is like doing balance drills and, and not just on, you know, you could use a stable surface and then you could move on to, let's say, a BOSU or a wobble board. Uh, and then what we do, another thing, cool thing that we do is called perturbation training. So basically, uh, you know, let's say if you're balancing on a BOSU board, I'm throwing something at you or I'm coming behind you and pushing you a little bit or shoving you one way. Um, so helping you challenge your balance even more, right? Because when you play a sport, it's like so fast and it's not just standing on one leg, right? So you need to be challenged in, in those specific type movements and balance plays a big role in that. Awesome. So key points in knee stuff. I know you're really big into it. What are some of the major things people need to know? Um, it, you know, I think it's the connector of the leg, right? So it's right in the middle. It's a, it's a, one of the strongest joints, if not the strongest joint of the body. It, it really is a big integral part of uh, many sports. So for us, it's you know, it may seem like a simple joint because it just moves, you know, flexes and extends with maybe a little, you know, rotation in there. Um, but the most important things is keeping those muscles around the joint strong. So when you're talking about, let's say, ligamentous injuries such as an ACL, it's, you know, the hamstrings and the glutes play a huge role in what we call being a dynamic stabilizer. So when you, there's a, you know, there's different stabilizers of the joint and not to go on a tangent, but uh, ligaments are the static stabilizer. So they're like almost the rubber band, you know, that stays nice and locked, keeping those joints in place. And then there's dynamic stabilizers and those are the muscles. So those muscles can help those ligaments pull the joints uh, into the right position when you, especially when you're, you know, you're doing um, sports like activities. So if you don't keep those muscles nice and strong, you really don't give those ligaments a chance. So when you're talking about the knee, uh, the main muscle groups that we really go after, uh, the quads, the hamstrings, the glutes, and the calves, like those are like the four that really help keep that knee nice and stable. Uh, and the knees are a big injury in sports. So uh, the only way to prevent and help reduce those injury rates are keeping those muscles nice and strong. I believe that's one of the biggest uh, points. I love that. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, one thing that I wanted to touch on is red flags. When should somebody be concerned that they are having a serious knee injury? I know we all, especially as we age, tend to get some creaks and aches and pains and things. And sometimes we will just kind of ignore them. But do you think there are any major red flags where you should be like, whoa, time to see your doc, time to, um, to address this pain or go to the, the physical therapist? What, what do you think there are some red flags? Yeah. I mean, for us, you know, when you're talking about the knee, there could be a couple different things. One, we always worry about fractures, right? And somebody should be worried about a fracture when they have a very serious traumatic you know, let's say whether it's a fall or a car accident or something that really puts a lot of pressure on the joint. Uh, and one of the main fractures that people get in the knee or is a patellar or a kneecap fracture because it kind of sits on the outside of the joint. 
And when you do fall or if you, you know, you hit your knee on a dashboard, those are things that can cause this type of fracture. Um, so if the knee gets really swollen or blown up, chances are that there could be something going on there that may need an x-ray just to rule out, you know, a, a fracture. Because if there is a fracture, then we probably would have to immobilize. Um, so that's one of the main things. Other than that, you know, the knee is pretty strong and capable of rehabbing. So even if you had a meniscal tear or a ligamentous tear, a lot of times the first step is rehab anyway, even if you were going to have surgery down the road. Um, so as far as the knee, the red, big red flag is the fracture site. Love it. Love it. Okay. So we're getting ready to kind of wrap things up here. Is there anything important that we missed that is um, important to people as far as the knee goes or any key takeaways that you would like to talk about before we get off the mic here. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I did want to talk about is because we're going through this uh, pandemic uh, as we go along and people don't have access to their gyms. And a lot of times people feel lost. And I think uh, that doesn't have to be the case. Well, a lot of what we're doing and I think other people are doing is uh, what we call remote training or remote platforms or virtual training. Um, And I think, people shouldn't just let their physical activity or their lifestyles fall by the wayside. Uh, Finding um, places and and continuously working out, I I think, so this way you're ready and prepped when gyms are open, will will give you a better chance at staying healthy, right? Because if you're sitting home for, now we've been on, you know, lockdown here where I am for almost two months or over two months, I should say, and it seems to continue. And I don't know when gyms are going to open. But what happens is if we're sitting on the couch for three months and then we go and get to the gym uh, and we're, we're going to think that we could do everything that we did three months ago, uh, we're going to definitely get an injury. So we should try to stay active and healthy. And I think one great way that we do this is through remote training and virtual programming. Awesome. And you um, have branched into this with your own practice, correct? Yeah, so a big thing that we did um, was start this, uh, what we call a remote or virtual training program for our clients. Um, And before this thing kind of started and took off the pandemic, I should say. Um, And what I've been finding is a lot of people have reached out because their physical therapy places have been closed or they weren't getting good access or their surgery got delayed. Um, So now they feel lost. And what we were able to do is help these people out, get on, continue and get on a regimented strengthening program. And we do that using a phone-based application. So a person, so how it would work is um, we do an onboarding video call. So we would chat uh, more about your case and then we would do an actual functional screen, you know, video to video. So almost like I'm watching you move in your own house, watching how that knee moves And based on that, we put together a program for you using a phone application. So you would have all your exercises all there for you. And there would be a video of each exercise with the demonstration, how you should do it. And we tailor it to you being at home. You know, we know we don't, you don't have access to a gym. So we're able to tailor a specific program that you could do at home. So this way you're staying on top of your rehab and continuously, you know, making uh, the knee and the other structures around it nice and strong. All right. So with that being said, what's the best way for the people listening to this podcast to find you? Uh, so the best way to find us on right now is on Instagram. 
Uh, it's ACL underscore Academy. Um, so this way you can reach out and then we do what we offer. Everybody is a consultation so we can jump on the phone with you, talk about your case and see how we could help you. Um, but that would be the best way to, to reach us. Awesome. Well, I am so appreciative that you took the time to come on the show. I'm thankful that you have so much knowledge to share with everybody else. And I hope if somebody's having some difficulties with their knee, they'll go and find you. I'll put all your information in the show notes. Thank you, Connie. I really appreciate uh, you having me on. I had a great time. You are so welcome. My pleasure. Well, everybody, that pretty much wraps up my episode with Khan. I am so thankful that he took the time to come on the show today and talk with us all about knees. I know I have a pretty big listenership full of athletes and many clients that struggle with knee injuries or knee pain. So it was nice to hear from Khan some of his takes on things. So I'm so thankful he decided to join us. Feel free to look in the show notes to find how to go look him up in case you are struggling with any trouble with your knees. Uh, He has a lot of information available there. So thank you so much to him. Before we get off here, just remember, if you could drop me a review or share me on your social media platform, it would be very much appreciated. Also, don't forget, I do have my website going as well, which is ConnieNightingale.com. I have a ton of wonderful information on there, recipes, workouts, you name it. You can find just about anything there. Hop on over there, check out my blog, and let me know what you think. Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in, and until next time, everybody, 